everybody, and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. Here it is, the morning of February 19th. Or at least that's the date this podcast episode is being made available. But this introduction, of course, was recorded a few days ago. So I'm not able to tell you how exciting February 18th was. You'll just have to wait until next week's podcast episode's introduction when I spend a few minutes going on about Madonna's celebration concert. And I know from here on, not to say never, but it's going to be a long time before I go see a concert again. They're just not my thing. It's definitely not the volume. I've got earplugs for that now. It's the volume of people. There's just so many. I just don't do well in a crowded situation like that, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Heck, I nearly bailed when I graduated from university. But despite not having a smartphone to occupy my time during that ceremony, I stuck through it for my parents. And when it was finally over, there were so many people to have to navigate around. And with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled, Dearest Albert, I'll Miss You and debuted on November 17th, 1980. The episode was written and directed by Michael Landon. We begin outside of the Walnut Grove School. A game of toss is being played, and the camera zooms in up to the Tinker Jones bell, which then proceeds to ring. Not kidding. The student body makes its way inside, and Mrs. Wilder calls everyone to attention as she proceeds to introduce the next class project. And no, dear listeners, it's not a bug-collecting or leaf-gathering expedition. This time, they're playing it safe. Pen Pals Mrs. Wilder inquires if anyone knows what a pen pal is. Quicker than scat... Willie lifts up his hand and says, That's like a friend that, like, lives in a pen, like a pig. Willie is sent to the corner. A blonde girl named Heather gives the correct answer, and Mrs. Wilder explains how all of a sudden she has two boxes full of letters from potential pen pals who live up in Minneapolis. So instead of writing a research paper or an essay, the class gets to write letters. While Mrs. Wilder is boasting her enthusiasm, the kids are mildly entertained at this idea. It's at this time, Carrie is set to task handing out letters to the younger students, and that blonde girl Heather is handing out letters to the older students. Mrs. Wilder takes her place behind the desk and also announces that the students will be graded on their punctuation, spelling, and grammar, at which point all the students return their letters to Mrs. Wilder. 
Just kidding. Albert opens up his letter and we get a young girl's voiceover introducing us to Leslie Barton, who's 13 years old and a pupil of the Harley School in Minneapolis. We cut to late night at Plum Creek. Caroline is working on a crossword puzzle. Just kidding. She's expanding her vocabulary when she asks Charles, why is it called a murder of crows? And, well, Charles, Charles explains the answer. And speaking of murder, Carrie comes down from the loft. I'm ready for bed. Couldn't she have just yelled that from off screen? But as she is giving goodnight kisses to Caroline and Charles, she then makes a request for a bedtime story from Charles. Charles takes this moment to admit that he thought Carrie was a big girl since she was sleeping up in the loft. No, honestly, I'm still little. Charles gives in and heads up to the loft to tell Carrie a story. Carrie does a little more talking. Don't worry, it's not relevant. And we find Albert at his desk working on his response to Leslie, but it's interrupted by the bedtime story of Giant the Bear, an original story by Charles Ingalls. Giant the Bear is the tiniest bear, but also the strongest. And he's the most nicest, too. Thanks, Carrie. And holy spit, we actually have to listen to the entire Giant the Bear story as Carrie interjects as frequently as possible. We get a shot of Albert, who looks like he's getting an idea. When the story is concluded, Carrie wishes that she would be forever young so she could hear stories all the time. Charles looks at her. Just go to bed, Carrie, and heads downstairs. Looking over at Albert, Charles encourages him to go to bed as well. But Albert asks for just a few more minutes. He has found a burst of inspiration and wants to write it down. We cut to school the next day. Albert sitting in his seat, watching Mrs. Wilder, reading and grading his letter to Leslie. From her eyes and facial expressions, Mrs. Wilder looks like she is very entertained by what she's reading. Until she's not. She excuses the class for lunch, be back in one hour, and then has Albert stay afterwards. When they're alone, Mrs. Wilder has Albert stand up and inquires, Do you know how tall six foot one actually is? She takes a moment before she continues. So you're also the fastest student in class, as well as the most popular boy in the WG? Albert interjects, don't forget bravest. As he recalls from the letter he wrote, some of the story that he heard Charles tell Carrie the night before. It's at this time, Albert inquires, if he can have a brother-sister conversation, Mrs. Wilder nods her head and Laura takes a seat. And she listens as Albert shares that he can just tell 
that Leslie is the most popular girl in her school and how she's also captain of the basketball team and she's also a dancer. Albert exclaims how his life is so dull. The only thing I could think about writing was about catching fish. Catfish. You know, noodling. And that's like so dull. How would you like it if those were the type of stories Pa told? Once upon a time, I plowed the field all day. I got smelly and I bathed in a creek. Laura takes a moment and looks at Albert before saying, That's not a bad idea for a book series. I could write that. Just kidding. But Laura does raise an eyebrow about the contents of Albert's letter. And while Albert argues that it's not hurting anyone, he reminds Mrs. Walder that the assignment was based on spelling, punctuation, and grammar. Mrs. Walder inquires, Would you like it if I read this in front of the class? Albert states no, and counters that argument with, Would you like it if someone read your private mail and you didn't want them to? Touché, Albert. Mrs. Wilder concedes and sends Albert outside for lunch. Cut to a big white house. It's implying that we are now in Minneapolis, and we cut to a girl in a chair getting her portrait taken, and she is all dolled up in a big pink dress. Just gonna take a wild guess that this is Leslie Barton. Mrs. Barton enters the room, arriving with mail, announcing Leslie has a letter. It's from that boy in Walnut Grove. She takes that letter and devours it. Oh my gosh, I have to go right back this minute. We then see Leslie start to wheel herself out of the room. That big pink dress was covering up a lot. The photographer announces that he will have Leslie's portrait shot back to her by tomorrow, and Leslie, good, I can include a picture of me in my letter to Albert. With Leslie out of the room, the photographer finally says it. Mrs. Barton, and inquires if he should just simply build her for the pictures. At this moment, the housekeeper, Mildred, enters the room and is instructed to serve tea and cakes at three for Mrs. Barton and a Miss LaRoche, Leslie's French teacher. Mrs. Barton is trying to buy her daughter some time so she can write to Albert. We're back in Walnut Grove. Albert has received that correspondence, and we hear in Leslie's voiceover how she's, oh boy, very tall and athletic and in addition to being captain of the basketball team and a dancer, she also plays lawn tennis. And Albert looks smitten. After school, possibly later that day, Albert pursues Willie and inquires if he can borrow his football. Not again. Albert claims he wants to use it to help train, coach the younger kids with football. Willie agrees to lend the football but does not want to practice with the young, small kids as he watches Albert and the team head towards the cemetery. 
that's just their direction that they're running because next thing we know they're lined up taking a team photograph whoa walnut grove has its own photographer fyi his name is mr mcginnis and photos cost a whole quarter but albert's been saving hands over that quarter and is told his pictures will be ready tomorrow preceding that albert takes that group of young kids out to play some football back over at plum creek late at night up in the loft albert is writing a response to leslie's letter and photograph he calls her beautiful but also hopes he's not being too forward he continues to write i feel it's best to be honest with you there's a trifecta from me head shake face palm eye roll on that as albert continues to write carrie unfortunately gets out of bed and informs us she can't sleep due to a splinter in her finger carrie's afraid of needles or else she would have gone to caroline first but albert albert just digs it out with his own fingers at which point carrie thanks him and heads back to bed turning his attention back to the letter albert includes how he plans on growing up to be a doctor and proceeds to write about this event of removing carrie's splinter greatly greatly exaggerated we cut back over to leslie who's in a doctor's office having her foot poked at and just like those letters to albert she's lying to her doctor about feeling these different sensations on the bottom of her foot i'm getting better with every visit she exclaims and dear listeners we know from previous episodes that if you are asked to leave the room so the doctor can have a private conversation with your parents it's not good as mrs barton and leslie pass one another leslie proclaims i felt it the doctor he really hurt me this time mother i'm really getting stronger but when the adults are left alone in the room they don't hold back the doctor informs us it has been two years since leslie's accident and she is not getting any better and admits it's time to move on beyond this false hope the doctor claims leslie is never going to get any better unless a miracle is performed and that's not happening he concludes by saying if mrs barton wants to help the situation she needs to tell leslie the truth so they can get on with their lives taking a moment to gather herself mrs barton states that they will not be making an appointment for next month and leaves later back at the barton bungalow leslie is staring at that photo of albert and his teammates and i suppose albert does look six feet tall standing next to his other teammates mrs barton returns home from church and leslie is busy bragging about writing the longest letter she's ever written mrs barton takes this time to then inquire if leslie has written to albert about her accident there's a very stern no from leslie mrs barton inquires don't you think you should 
But Leslie is not interested writing about that. She states, I've got plenty of other things I can write about. Mrs. Barton admits to reading the previous letter Leslie had written to Albert, which had included all these activities Leslie used to be able to do. Leslie argues that she is getting stronger, and next month, when they go to the doctors, she'll be even stronger. Mrs. Barton cuts her off and informs her there won't be an appointment next month. Continuing, she states, You're not getting better, and that's something we've known from the beginning. It's never going to happen. You're not getting better. A tearful Mrs. Barton tells her daughter there is still many things that she can do if she just stopped waiting for the miracle. Live life as it is. Don't keep waiting for it to be as it was. There's a long pause from Leslie, who then turns her attention back to her letter and begins to write about the school's production of Swan Lake. She tells her mother that she loves Albert, and deep down, she's sure Albert loves her in return. She admits she's ready to move on, but wants to feel this love from Albert as she concludes her letter. Mrs. Barton, as she leaves the room, suggests they have a visit to her sister in St. Louis for a few months. Back over in Walnut Grove, a young boy is reading from the McGuffey Reader as Albert finally shows up to class. Once the young boy is done reading, Mrs. Wilder assigns everyone to read so she and Albert can go outside and have a conversation. P.S. Willie is already in the corner. We're outside and I can imagine Willie is able to hear this entire conversation. We're informed Albert has been daydreaming a lot in class, as well as showing up late at least once a week. This behavior has been happening for a while. Fine, go ahead and punish me. Mrs. Walder says that's not the point. However, she does continue that Albert isn't writing those letters because he hasn't turned any of them in in quite some time. Albert assures his teacher, sister, he is indeed writing those letters. He's just not having them graded. The reasoning being because they're starting to get a little more personal. Albert even admits he loves Leslie. Mrs. Wilder admits this is the silliest thing she has ever heard. You haven't even met one another. Albert defends himself and tells his teacher sister to back off just a little bit and proceeds to compare himself to Cyrano de Bergerac. The girl fell in love with the letters, not him. However, he admits his situation is a little worse because pictures were included. Hearing all the information, Laura claims to understand as a sister, but tells him as a teacher that he's going to get an extra writing assignment and not to be late again or else he will be sent home. Cut to nighttime at Plum Creek. We're around the dinner table and it just doesn't look the same 
with Laura gone. As the bread is passed to Charles, Carrie takes this moment to tattle on Albert for being late to school again. Albert takes this moment to tattle on Carrie, who's been calling Timmy a poo-poo all day. Charles, looking at his son, then states, Albert, you know how I hate the brown word. When asked why he was late for school, Carrie responds, he was late because he was reading a letter. Charles turns to Carrie, tells her to be quiet. I'm not talking to you. Albert admits he talked with Laura and got everything worked out, while Caroline hopes that Albert is not taking advantage of having his sister as the teacher. She then offers Charles more coffee. However, Charles turns that coffee down. He's heading back out to the barn. And what's he doing out there? Well, he's finishing up a cabinet. He promised to have it done before he leaves town for another Grange meeting, which happens to be located in Minneapolis. How convenient. Quicker than scat, Albert formulates a plan, asks to be excused from the table, and heads out to the barn. And out in the barn, as Charles works on that cabinet, Albert inquires, flat out, if he can tag along to Minneapolis for the Grange meeting. Charles admits that those meetings are downright dull, unless they're taking place in Chicago. Albert tries to sweeten up this deal by saying even though he's going to miss school, he could write a report for class. Kids do it all the time. You know, like when Laura, Mary, and Carl Sanderson got excused to go see a train then stole the caboose. And while Albert does a great job trying to convince Charles, Charles reminds him how poor they are and they can't afford it. However, this is Albert, and before leaving the barn, Albert, for clarification purposes, inquires if Charles would take him along if it didn't cost him anything. Charles confirms he would. Albert smiles. We cut to a train station. The conductor is talking with Charles, mentioning how busy the train has been lately. And that's when he notices a train hopper and heads to the freight car. And upon inspection, lo and behold, it's really no surprise, it's Albert who hopped a train. I mean, he does have experience and all. Charles proceeds to facepalm without facepalming when he inquires to the conductor what becomes of the boy. We're informed that Albert will be locked up until they locate his parents. Well, that's if the father isn't passed out in a ditch with a jug in his hand. His words, not mine. Charles denies the implications, and this is when Albert states he jumped the train because he wants to go and be with his pa. He left home without me. Hearing this, the conductor needs to know what kind of man would do that to a son. Magically, Charles pulls from his pockets the dollar bill it would take to buy Albert a train ticket to head to Minneapolis. The conductor takes the dollar and wishes both of them goodwill. Charles and Albert take their seat on the train. 
This is when Charles inquires, how did Albert even get to the train station? Stagecoach. Charles is a little confused and admits, how? I was in there. Albert, as we should know, admits, well, I didn't say in, I said on. And I swear, it's like Charles has no knowledge of what Albert is really capable of. And wanting to know why he is doing this, Albert confesses, I'm doing it all for love. He then admits he's feeling also a little guilty about lying to Leslie in their correspondences. I have to know if she'll like me for me. And although these two have had man-to-man -man chats about girls before, for some reason, Albert admits he's embarrassed to talk about his feelings. When Charles asks the obvious question, couldn't you have written this in a letter? Albert admits he can't commit these words to paper. It's something I have to say face-to-face. -face. I have to look her in the eye. Charles understands everything a little bit, admitting it's not right, but it's okay. Albert also confesses he left a note for Caroline letting him know where he would be at and who he's with. Charles then inquires, what about being honest and saying it eye to eye? They both LOL and then find themselves in Minneapolis, right at the front door of the Barton bungalow. Albert knocks and Mrs. Barton comes to the door. He introduces himself and is invited inside. Once inside, Albert takes a seat. Mrs. Barton LOLs and explains she didn't recognize him, admitting her daughter described him differently. Albert admits that's the reason why he's there, to come clean, be honest. We're informed Leslie's not home at the moment, and before Albert leaves, Mrs. Barton hands over their number and encourages him to give a call before coming over next time. Albert inquires if Leslie is busy practicing for the ballet. Handing the note over, Mrs. Barton admits, you better talk to Leslie about that, and sees him to the door. And just before leaving, Albert makes one more request, not to tell Leslie he had stopped by. We cut to later that evening as the phone rings at the Barton bungalow. Mrs. Barton tells Leslie it's most likely him again and how she can't keep saying that she hasn't returned home. Um, you could just tell him I'm asleep, mother. Duh. Leslie also makes it a point to tell her mom to inform Albert how they are leaving early in the morning for St. Louis and how she'll write to him from there. As Mrs. Barton covers for her daughter one more time, Leslie just blank stares in the background. After hanging up, Mrs. Barton shares how Albert is going to miss Leslie and to have a good trip. However, back at that hotel room, Albert shares with Charles what he has been told. And seeing how his son is a little disappointed, Charles says, sorry. Albert at this time speculates that Mrs. Barton must have mentioned how small he was to Leslie. 
I bet they're having a good old laugh over it. I traveled all this way to be honest with her. I bet she thinks she's cooler than me. I hate her now. Albert also believes there's a little classism going on as well. Albert admits his feelings were true, even if his physical descriptions about himself weren't. He then tries insulting Leslie as a coping mechanism. Ugh, she would look silly hopping around on her toes in a barn. I bet she doesn't even know how to square dance. However, Albert's anger doesn't last long and then asks permission if they can head over early tomorrow before their own train leaves back to Walnut Grove. Charles grants permission. Next morning, back at the Barton bungalow, Charles and Albert have arrived in a very fancy lift ride wagon. As Albert is patiently waiting, Charles is impatiently checking his clock, fearful that they will miss their own train. It's at this moment the Barton carriage pulls up to the house and Mrs. Barton steps out and Albert then watches as Leslie, with her wheelchair, are carried down the steps. It dawns on Albert why Leslie did not want to see him. Once Leslie and Mrs. Barton are positioned in their carriage, Albert takes this moment to go across the street and confront Leslie. Looking at her, he confesses he was mad at her last night, but that it taught him a valuable lesson about how he's going to be honest about himself. Following that, he apologizes to Leslie for not being the big hero of the WG like he wrote about, while still admitting that he does love her. I wouldn't blame you if you didn't like me back, but I would still care for you. And that's what real love is. He says he will continue to write, and encourages Leslie, if she wants to, to also write back. He only asks that she be honest with him. He smiles, waves, have a good trip. The camera zooms in on Leslie's face, and it's hard to get a read on it. She never looks up at Albert. Albert turns and starts heading back to Charles, and stops in the middle of the road, turns around, and declares, I love you, Leslie Barton. Albert climbs into the fancy buckboard next to Charles, and they head off in one direction, while Leslie and Mrs. Barton drive away in the other direction. Aren't they both going to the train station? We find ourselves back in the WG. Postmistress Mrs. Foster is organizing letters and stops when she sees Albert outside. She runs outside with a letter in hand to make a delivery. Albert receives that letter, and standing next to him, we hear, Uh, Albert, you better not be late for school. Mrs. Foster tells Carrie to be quiet and go to school. Just kidding. But Carrie does leave, as Albert proceeds to open up the letter. And yes, it is the longest letter Leslie has written. It's like three pages. Albert looks down at the letter, and Leslie has a voiceover. 
telling us how she plans on being honest with him. There's so much I have to tell you, but I have to say this first. I miss you and I love you, Albert Ingalls. Albert continues to read that letter as he walks himself to school. Well, 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 we get the appearance of our third wheelchair in the Prairie Verse. We have Leslie Barton in her chair here, and don't forget Minnie in Season 6's Sweet Sixteen, who was also wheelchair-bound. And then, of course, there was Nellie in her wheelchair. However, our major difference between the wheelchair Nellie was in compared to the one Minnie and Leslie were in is Leslie and Minnie were able to move around the house anyway, due to the fact that their wheelchair had the push rim. However, I am still wondering how Minnie and Nellie got out of their respective houses onto the ground because neither of their houses had a wheelchair ramp. It looks as though wheelchairs or chairs on wheels have been around for quite some time. However, multiple websites claim that a German watchmaker by the name of Stefan Farfler, a 22-year-old paraplegic, was the first to design and build a self-propelling wheelchair, which very much resembled an ergometer or an arm bike. Using a combination of cogwheels, cranks, and sprockets that were housed in a box in front of the chair, Stefan Farfler was able to move himself and claim a new sense of independence. Did I mention this took place in 1655? From there, over the years, centuries, a number of things changed. The location of the wheels, the size of the wheels, the chair itself, a constant state of flux for a long time. Flash forward to the United States, where there had been a number of patents for a wheelchair already made. However, in 1869, there was the first patent for a wheelchair that had rear push wheels and small front coasters. Over the next decade, the type of material used for wheels on the wheelchair would also change. However, it wasn't until 1881 that push rims were invented. Dirty hands would be a thing of the past now that there was that outer push rim available. So a special thanks to the following websites for providing enough information to supply today's trivia. Thanks to medplushealth.ca, sciencemuseum.org UK, unitedspinal.org, and the website for the National Museum of Civil War Medicine, civilwarmed.org. And with that, let's finally get to reviewing and rating this episode. A story about 
teenage prairie catfishing. Albert becomes interested in a girl he's never met, but only through words and an included picture. But really, this episode only happens due to Albert's hormones. For me, I feel as though this episode could have been a little better if we would have switched, or I should say, who got more screen time, story time. Instead of making the episode about Albert and his hormones, why couldn't we have started on a young Leslie Barton before her accident? This episode could have begun on the day she has her accident, whatever that may be. We could also have a small time jump as well. And that could have gotten us to the point where Leslie is participating in writing a letter to a pen pal. And she's lonely because she's been at home the last two years being homeschooled. Let's think back to the end of season five with the Odyssey and young Dylan who was fighting leukemia. Yes, Laura and Albert were there at the beginning of that episode, but we found out so much about Dylan before they went out on this odyssey. And here we could have, should have, started with Leslie and got to know her better before the story unfolded and included the Ingalls. Heck, even this season, The Silent Cry? We're reintroduced to one character, following that up with the introduction of our guest characters and their hardships, and it's about a third way into that episode before any Ingalls gets involved. It just seems having Albert as the central character here was the wrong decision. But something that wasn't wrong is this week's little house moment is when young train-hopping Albert is busted by the conductor and Charles. It sticks out the most because it's the only scene in this entire episode that made me laugh. And with that, let's finally get to rating this episode. For me, this one's kind of a dud. An episode where two teenagers catfish one another, one doing it because they're lonely, the other one doing it because he's hormonal. I didn't care for Leslie at all. And that's what the problem was with this episode. I needed to care a little bit more about her. But instead, we got the story of Giant the Bear and Carrie speaking the most lines she's had since the God Sister. We already know Albert well enough at this point. We don't really need to see him having this emotional dilemma about love. We've seen it too recently. Penelope Parker, back at the end of season six. And we already had three episodes this season where the Ingalls were definitely the side character. And while, yes, the show is about the Ingalls, what's just one more episode where they're not the central characters? And that is why we are going to give this episode, Dearest Albert, I'll miss you, a 2.75 bonnet rating. I feel as though this could have been a better episode. I liked the story, but I don't think I needed to see it from the Ingalls' perspective. And those are just some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode. And as always, I wouldn't mind hearing any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode. 
or any previous episode or season. From Plum Creek with Love at Gmail and Instagram is how you can reach out. And for some reason, if you haven't checked out the Instagram account, I would highly recommend doing so. It's a nice way of enhancing the experience of listening to the podcast. And those of you who've been following it for a while, thank you. Lastly, those of you who found the podcast after they found the Instagram account, thank you for finding us. Come back next week when we go over Season 7, Episode 9's The In-Laws. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez, and until next time, take care. Thank you.